Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today, we'll be comparing notes on the novel Horror Store and the podcast How Did This Get Made? Warning, spoilers ahead. I'm so excited. This is our second episode. I listened to the first episode that you were kind enough to edit and cut together, and I'm loving it so far. I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. I've been really enjoying the editing process. Um, It's good Sunday afternoon time, so that's been really fun. Let's jump in. Let's jump in. So I went first last week, so that means this week you'll go first. Yes. Yeah. And today I will be talking about the Grady Hendrix novel Horror Store. And this is a novel that was published in 2014. Grady Hendrix is a horror novelist. He is known for his novels The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires and My Best Friend's Exorcism which are two of our favorite horror books ever. Um, So I first read those two and then decided I wanted to read this book. Um, And it's been a while since I've read it. I think I read it last summer. So um, it's been quite a while. But the basic synopsis for this book is that it is set in an Ikea-esque store called Orsk. Um, and there are three employees that kind of drive the plot here. Um, so there's Basil, who is the store manager. He enlists the help of his two employees, Ruth and Amy, to work an overnight shift with him to investigate a series of vandalizations that are happening inside of the Orsk when it is locked at night. Up till this point, they can't really figure out why these acts of vandalism are happening, how people are getting into the store. Amy is our main character. Things are really kind of following her in essence. She's a younger um, person. This is kind of her first real job, and she's kind of disappointed and feels like it's very dead end, like she's constantly going to get fired and that she's never going to kind of work her way up the Orsk ladder. So that's kind of where we're starting. And so they begin this night shift and things start getting creepier and creepier very slowly throughout the night. So it starts with Amy going into the women's restroom Um, There's this mysterious graffiti in the bathroom that talks about the beehive, um, which we'll get into a little bit later, but it kind of foreshadows the setting and spookiness of the book. There's all of this graffiti that has not been there during the day and is suddenly there. It is not new, though. It looks very aged. And then um, the store lights, which always remain on, go dark, which makes the showroom very dark. The floor of the showroom very dark. The store pads also change. So in an Ikea and similarly in this Orsk, there is a specific path that you walk to be able to see all of the items that are on sale. They kind of force you into this set path. 
And all of the workers know this path, like, very well. They have to walk it every day. And the store paths start to change and shift and become more maze-like. So you'll think that you're heading into kitchen and it'll loop you back around to where you started and it's because it's dark it's like very hard to tell if you're navigating yourself incorrectly or if Uh, things are actually changing so there's kind of this like am i going crazy aspect of it um and then generally all of the like spookiness kind of ramps up and culminates in the characters meeting a person a ghost named Warden Worth. And Warden Worth invites our characters to join him in his beehive and be cured from all of their problems. So basically, the story kind of alludes to this old prison slash asylum. It's not really well explained. It's kind of left up to the reader what they kind of want to take from that, where Warden Worth kind of tortured individuals with these painful tasks that they have to do to cure them of their illness um like what um it's Mm. alluded to um with different blueprints in the book um so one thing that i really like about the book is that it looks like an ikea catalog and contained within there are all of these like blueprints very like minimalistic blue background white blueprint with descriptions so for example it starts mundane and then kind of works up to being creepier devices creepier pieces of Mm -hmm. furniture that are being sold so the first is called musk that i picked as an example it's uh, a bed it's like a bunk bed and it says retreat to a private island where you can find the rest you need Nesting in a cloud high above the cares of the world, Musk envelops you in its caress and takes you on a journey into a land of dreams. But then, when you get later in the book, there's Crank, which is spelled Mm K-R-A-A-N-J-K. Embrace the simplicity of eternal repetition with Crank, a rustic handle mounted on resistance gears to encourage eternal turning. Enter a meditative state of despair after 100 turns. The only rule is that it never stops, even when your body does. And so mm. it kind of hints at, like, these torture devices that are also kind of work. Um, and his whole mentality is that if you do these torturous work tasks, you'll be cured from whatever's wrong with you. Interesting. It's very creepy and effective. Mm-hmm. So um, basically when the employees refuse, they have to escape Wardenworth and all of his ghostly workers from the beehive, which are basically doing tasks that he, that he gives them mindlessly. Um, like they're just worker bees, right? They're just right. following orders. They are not really even sentient. They're not like, you're not able to have a conversation with them. They're just husks that are doing a job and Uh that is being cured i guess basically these three employees along with some others that you get introduced to throughout the plot have to work to escape the orsk and um get away from these ghosts 
who keep like showing up and there's like a series of like being captured and then the other characters escaping and rescuing them and then them mm-hmm. being captured and stuff like that. Um, but it's a pretty fast paced book, so it moves really quickly and doesn't get too repetitive. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really good, um, book. One thing that I noted about it was that, um, it's quite short, so it's only 248 pages, Mm. which, um, I kind of compare this to like my usual 600 plus page Stephen King novel, which I think is like the best scare. <laughs> Sparky. <laughs> Can you hear him? Uh, yeah. Oh. Well, he's just <laughs> our fine. background music, I guess. Um, so, um, the novel is very fast-paced, but has good characters. Um, and I really think that Grady Hendrix did a very clever thing with the characters. Because when I think of a typical Stephen King novel or something along those lines, mm-hmm. the reason they're so long is because they want you to get invested in the characters you're reading about. They need you to connect with those characters in a very deep way to make things scary. Right. And what Grady Hendrix has done is created three very relatable characters that um, we can already connect with on just the basis of their human experience, right? So it's very basic. So Basil is this fearless leader he would mm-hmm. die for those employed by him, which should never happen in an Orsk scenario. <laughs> but, right. like, he would. He constantly puts himself in danger to help and save the other employees. And that's a human trait that I think we can all connect to and kind of endears us to Basil immediately once mm-hmm. the scary stuff starts. Um, Ruth, the co-worker that's not our main character, is kind of your sweet aunt i don't know she kind of makes (laughs) me think of like an aunt figure she's volunteering to help because she was asked she's not resentful about it in any way this is her job and the most social interaction she gets in a week and she loves her job more than anything Mm -hmm. and that's very endearing like and contrasts really well with our main character who doesn't like her job and feels very dissatisfied And just kind of feels like there's no direction. And I think that between those three characters, they're all endearing in their own ways. And they all have aspects that any person can really relate to. They're common human traits. And so basically what Grady has done is write a story about normal people experiencing scary things Mm -hmm. without the need to, like, make the characters too in-depth, right? Whereas in The Shining, for example, the characters have a lot of depth to them. Like Jack Nicholson, um, what's his name? Jack Torrance is like a seriously complex character in the book. He loves his family. He's trying to repair things. So you've got to kind of get that vibe. You also have to find out that he's an addict that he is an alcoholic and has previously abused his son. 
And then all of the scary stuff kind of stems from that inherent weakness in Jack. And you have to spend like half the book building to that point, right? And understanding who Jack is to really get connected to all of the characters involved. And throughout the book, you're kind of just rooting for Jack to act against his nature. Um, Mm -hmm. But he doesn't, obviously. Um, Whereas in this book, they're just normal people. And they're not really, they're not broken. They're not complex. They're just like you and me um, from the outside. And I think that that's a really cool technique. You know? We're not complex. (laughs) From the outside, I would say that, like, I don't know. It just, I like that this is a horror novel that's not based on some kind of underlying characteristic about the characters. It's very plot-driven in that way, where, Mm -hmm. like, the characters are not making the choices that are defining the plot. They are in the store, which is defining this plot and they are just trying to escape and I think that Uh that's really interesting it's not really something that I've seen done in a horror novel before and I think that that allows Grady to focus more on the scares instead of developing his characters which allows the short the book to be a very short and quick read it ramps up in a way that like you don't want to put it down because you want to find out what happens and Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a lot of exposition, I guess. Sure. Do you feel like even though the characterization isn't really in depth, do you still feel connected to those characters? Yeah. I mean, I care a lot about, um, I, there's like one scene in the book, um, where Ruth is, she gets kind of dragged away by these creatures and kind of sacrifices herself to prevent Amy from being taken. And, like, Uh I was truly upset and scared for, like, where Ruth was going, if she was going to be okay. And I guess this is a spoiler. um, Ruth, like, doesn't come out. And it, like, haunts Amy and Basil and... At the end, Basil wants to... They get reassigned to a different Orsk after the whole I fucking hope so. Yeah. But, like, Basil comes up with this plan, and the book kind of ends with Basil asking Amy to go back and try to rescue Ruth because he has to be sure that she's gone. And I I just think... I don't know. I just love Basil. I love that aspect of him that, like, mm-hmm. he's willing to put himself back into a dangerous situation because he feels personally responsible sure. for Ruth going missing. He asked her to be there, and he's a good guy. I love all of them. And, mm-hmm. I yeah, so it kind of ends with, like, Basil wanting to go back, basically. Do you think there's another version of the book that Grady wrote where it includes... Amy and Basil going back to that yeah. store and they they trimmed it. I don't know. I wonder. Maybe. Um, I could see that. I could also, so, well, so initially they sold the television rights to Horror Store, but oh, really? now it has been bought by New Republic Cinema. Um they have been a part of movies like 1917 and Rocket Man, 
um, hmm. which are like pretty big movies that they've been they either like partially funded or produced in some way i don't know wikipedia told me this so mm-hmm. i don't know um but i could see like in an expansion of this into like a film that they could go back and go mm-hmm. see ruth so like you said it sounds like a a pretty short novel do yeah. you think the amount of content would map better onto a film length project rather than a, a full series. I would kind of like to see it as a limited series with very short episodes. Um, mm-hmm. Because I don't know. I actually don't know. Because I think I could personally pick out like where the episodes would end and mm-hmm. really good like cliffhangers to leave people on because there's a lot of like spooky scenes where people are seen dragged away and then they're being rescued and mm-hmm. I think that those could make really interesting episodes but I do think that pacing wise it would work better as a film okay. but like I could see places where they could be episodes I really hope that it does end up getting developed but yeah another thing I have touched on a little bit but um, haven't really gone in depth into um is that the book is surprisingly scary um so i i noted that it's very short but the book was initially marketed and like i was considering it to be a horror comedy so i was picturing more horror themes but in a comedic nature um i guess the vibe i get just visually from Mm -hmm. it because it's aesthetically modeled after the psychia catalog is that it's some type of satirical commentary on either consumerism or minimalism or something like just that's kind of the impression i got just at face value do you think that sort of relates to why it originally was marketed that way yeah i do think so um i think that one common theme which i didn't really like uh go into is this concept of toxic positivity in the workplace um or like forced positivity this concept of forced positivity in the workplace so like working in a store where you have to be this bubbly cheerful person all the time and get people to buy things like that sounds horrible and I do think that they are kind of poking fun at that and contrasting it to Warden Worth's workers right where they are doing mundane tasks for eternity being this kind of like worker bee but, uh-huh. like, the contrasts don't map, like, one-to-one. Um, okay. But it definitely seems like he's trying to say something about being a lemming. Sure. And just kind of following and doing what you're told and having this happy life because of it. Well, okay. I'm learning things. I'm learning things when I talk through it. Um, okay. So, has this idea that by doing these mindless tasks, you'll be cured because you have a purpose, right? So you're cured because you have this purpose. And I think sometimes we think 
if I get this job and work my way up the ladder, I will be happy because I have this purpose. And Uh the reality is that... That purpose doesn't necessarily have inherent value. And you can be a husk fulfilling a purpose and still not have any internal life that is fulfilling in any way. That was very eloquently put. I love it. I love it. Um, Listen to Remy. I like that message. That's a... I like that. That appeals to me. I think that that's potentially what he's trying to get at. And I didn't really think too deeply about it. It was just kind of clear that he was contrasting the two things to show that they are similar. Right. Um, but that when it's literally torture, we're able to be like, no, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want that. Exactly. Um, but when it's like marketed to you as like, we're this fun family, come join us. Yeah. Like corporate culture. Yeah. Ugh. That it's similar <laughs> and you yeah. get tricked into thinking that that's the truth. I like that. That's fun. We, yeah, <laughs> we fucking cracked we, it. We cracked the code, Grady. Come be on our pod. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I I thought that the the novel was surprisingly scary, despite it being a horror comedy. Grady Hendrix commonly uses body horror, and because I yes. had um, read multiple of his books in the past, I was kind of expecting that, and that's definitely the mode of horror in this novel it's definitely more of like a torture novel uh so there's lots of scary imagery um Mm -hmm. for i like initially before reading grady hendrix i didn't really know or think to look up the like definition of body horror but for anyone who doesn't know exactly what that means it is a category of horror which alters the human body in a way that is disturbing or grotesque. So it's a really Mm -hmm. broad category. It can uh, include a variety of examples. One really common example is the fly. Um, Yeah, I was just going to say, I think of David Cronenberg when I think of body horror. definitely. Um, So that's like a really common example used and... I find that this type of horror is especially effective on me because I'm quite squeamish um, mm-hmm. about things. And I I don't find myself very drawn to body horror in its essence because um, I do find it very scary. But mm-hmm. um, I do really like the way that Grady Hendrix utilizes it because it's never too much. It never, like, <laughs> it never gets gauche, you know? <laughs> But uh, he definitely does it in a scary way, but still tasteful and not um, over the top. It's very believable to me. I don't know. I can think of one example in Southern Book Club where I was like, I don't know if I need this. Oh. Like, it was like, it had to do with Patricia going out to the garbage cans and I think there was like a a carcass from a dead raccoon something involving a carcass and I like I'm not very squeamish at all mm-hmm. and even I was like I'm not enjoying mm. the audiobook rendering of this scene <laughs> 
That's interesting. I listen to it an audiobook as well, but I will say that I listen to things very differently than I read them. Um, In what way? I don't pay any attention. <laughs> what do you I'm mean? so bad. I just kind of like get the gist. I am not hanging on to every word. I'm just kind of huh. vibing and things are playing. And then I have to like go back to the beginning of the chapter because I'll be like, I haven't paid attention for the last five minutes. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> I'm just going like zoop through my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like why, for example, when I read Ninth House, I actually bought a paper copy of the book because I liked it enough that I wanted to reread it in paper format because I genuinely just give the book a lot more attention, um, mm-hmm. than an audio book. But interesting. I mean, who even needs a lot of those words? You just... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. I, I don't can't know. help not paying attention. Like I don't. Yeah. When. That's... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's how my partner is. He gets mad when I watch. Like, uh So sometimes I'll watch something like Love Island or uh, America's Next Top Model or something. It's like my relax uh don't think about anything type of show because I can just kind of shut my brain off while I'm watching right those. but my partner when anything is on whether it be podcast or tv show he's like laser focused on that content and he's like it's so much worse for me to watch these things than it is for uh-huh. you because you don't have to like it doesn't haunt you <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, You're not taking in the depths I'm of not. depravity that are being presented. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Incredible. Um, yeah, I'm. I think I'm more like him. <laughs> I figured I would just give uh, a little bit of Grady Hendrix news um, because <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because so many um, of his books have recently been um slated for some kind of film or uh limited series release so they're in development right now but it's very exciting so there's a movie for my best friend's exorcism in the works the director is damon thomas which um he's known for killing eve which was a series um I can't remember what network it was on, but... um, I just know BBC made that, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, But yeah, so that should be amazing. I'm very, very excited about that. That's my favorite Grady Hendrix book so far. Um, As I mentioned, the film adaptation of Horror Store is in its early development. And then, um, actually, HBO Max... Uh, has started development on Final Girl Support Group. Oh. Um, and where, so where, where's Southern Book Club? I don't know yet. I don't know. What the fuck? That's my favorite. I know. It'll be really good oh, when they do adapt I'm it. so annoyed. I, hmm. Interesting. Why is that happening? I only want to see Southern Book Club. Ah. Uh. My best friend's exorcism is going to be so good, though. 
I don't know. It definitely wasn't... I... It's not my preference. I also, I didn't even finish Final Girls. Did you finish that? I haven't even started it yet. Um, Mm, I really want to know what you think about it. Yeah, I've got that one in paper. In paper. (laughs) I don't know what my brain is doing. You got a hard copy. But, um, oh, and I wanted to plug a podcast that I really like called Books in the Freezer. Um, if you like Grady Hendrix or want to hear him talk about his books and his thoughts on horror, he did a good interview on that podcast a while back, and it was around the time of the Final Girls support group release, so probably like a hot minute now, like a Mm -hmm. year ago or something, but it was really good, um... And he's, like, very well-versed in horror and, like, classic horror. And uh, he's just so cool. It's so cool to hear him talk. I really liked it. Um, So that was Books in the Freezer podcast. Um, Grady Hendrix interview. Very good. Hmm. He would be a cool hang, probably. He, oh, it's so cool to hear him talk. I love that podcast because they get some really good authors on. Um, they had uh, the author of My Heart is a Chainsaw, Stephen Graham Jones. Is that the book I read in my dream <laughs> that uh, I told you about? Yeah. The only where I was good taking Indians. the SATs. The Only Good Indians is the one that you <laughs> dreamt that you read. Great. <laughs> um, I really want to read um, his book, Mongrels. It's like mm. a, a werewolf ebook. Ooh. Bring back really good werewolf vampire fiction and not have it all be like YA. Ooh, vampires are back, baby. Have you seen Midnight Mass? That shit's amazing. Oh, Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass was a. Uh... A yes. good modern vampire tale. Yeah, and Ooh. also Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires was a oh, great yeah. modern vampire tale. Excellent. Excellent. Where is the movie? <laughs> Man, Grady Hendrix. So freaking good. <laughs> I love him. But yeah, that's all I've got. And, oh, Grady Hendrix is also working on another novel right now called How to Sell a Haunted House, which I'm extremely intrigued by. So um, (laughs) that sounds very cool and very up my alley. Yes, it Um, definitely sounds that way. I love a haunted house story. It's so good. They scare me so much. Yeah. Um, Not as much body horror. Not as, like, viscerally as body horror. But... I love a haunted house. All right. That's all I got. Okay. Well, speaking of podcasts, my piece of media this week is a podcast called How Did This Get Made? Yeah. This is um, a podcast that's been around for quite some time in terms of podcast years. I think they've been doing it for around 10 years, (laughs) I want to say. What are podcast years compared to dog years? <laughs> I don't know. I just know that 
since podcasts have only been around for about yeah. 10 years, if you've been around that long, you're one of the originals. And they've been around for a long time. It's a comedy podcast on the Earwolf Network. And it's hosted by three core hosts, Paul Shear, Jason Manzukis, and June Diane Raphael. And the basic premise of the pod is that for each episode, the hosts and often uh, a guest will discuss a movie that they've watched recently. And it's specifically a really bad movie that they've been assigned to view and dissect and discuss. And discuss. Do you know how they choose their bad movies? I know they have a producer that curates the list mm-hmm. and finds them and seeks them out. Um, so she does that currently. I don't know how they did it back in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I wonder if it was like Rotten Tomatoes based or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, they are actors and writers in mm-hmm. Hollywood, so... I feel like they have a good sense of just notoriously bad movies yeah. that they probably could subsist on for a while. And now they have a producer, I think her name's Kayla, that curates the the mm-hmm. list. And they sit down to discuss the movie and where, <laughs> where the movie failed and sort of hypothesize about how things went wrong and talk about it's just often a lot of the more asinine elements of what happened in the film and it's just great it's a really straightforward premise that provides a lot of good fodder for um you know making jokes about the the film industry and what's going on with this particular film and it's a really great vehicle to get a sense of not just like what makes a bad film bad but also gives you a chance to get a peek into the tastes of the Mm -hmm. hosts and what they look for in a good film and uh it's been a podcast that I've listened to for a few years now consistently because it's one that I know I can go to for sort of instant levity mm-hmm. um, and not just th- because it's very funny and lighthearted and obviously it's not a very serious subject matter, mm-hmm. um, but also because... I just really enjoy the dynamic and the rapport between the three hosts. I love that it's always been those three and they've just seemed to have like such a great working relationship um, and friendship. Paul and June are married, but I think the dynamic between all three of them is just really wholesome and fun (laughs) and I just love checking in with them 
every couple of weeks when the episode drops and getting their take on things. And I feel like it's, it's fun to sort of get to know them through these discussions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. They're such interesting and strange people, too. <laughs> like, one of my favorite... I think it was Face Off, the Face Off episode. Mm-hmm. Um, June is talking about how she watched it while this person came to her house and did her nails while she was in bed, and she just kind of, like, fell asleep during the yeah. movie <laughs> while her nails were being done. And it's just... It's always very strange to realize how, like, people live their lives sometimes. And it's very different from how you live your life. Uh, But, yeah, I think that their dynamic is really cute. And they always have funny stories, funny things to say about the movie, things that they like about it and things that they dislike. And I... And they don't always agree with each other, right? Which I right. think is, like, a really fun dynamic. Because sometimes Jason will be like, I completely disagree with you guys. I think this movie was great, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, really those cute. are some some of the best episodes where there is um, not a consensus mm-hmm. on whether the movie was bad or not. And you have people picking sides. Sometimes it's a live show where the whole audience has to pick a side yeah. of who's right. That's really fun. Uh, another fun scenario is when all of the hosts do agree, but they agree that the movie is good mm-hmm. and should not be on the podcast because mm-hmm. it's amazing. And so that's really fun too, because it's not a mean spirited podcast yeah. in that they're constantly like being overly critical or, mm-hmm. you know, mean about things. It's still in the spirit of fun, even though they are, you know, talking about where different films failed. It's not, it never comes off as mean-spirited to me. So I think that's like an important uh, distinction to make. Yeah. And I mean, that's in their theme song too, is like, um, God, now I'm forgetting the words, but it says something along the lines of, don't just be a hater. You know, Mm -hmm. you you know you wonder how did this get made and uh-huh. um i think that that really embodies the spirit of the show is they're just talking about how this movie came to be in the world and fun facts about it and mm-hmm. what they thought of it yes but i don't know it like provides really interesting context for someone like me who knows almost nothing about film and the process of filming something Mm -hmm. and unreliable actors I don't know it's (laughs) just like it's so interesting to me yeah I love getting these perspectives from working actors that have spent time on film sets and getting this breakdown from their perspective because I feel like I learn a lot just by like osmosis based on how they're explaining the way things should be or things of that nature because I'm really interested in just the how films are made and all of the working parts behind the scenes. I find all of that really interesting. So 
I love getting that sort of inside perspective on on filmmaking, even if it is for really shitty movies. I like the perspective that they can provide and like the additional, for example, sometimes they'll talk about like the budget for a movie and yes. like how much it brought in. And sometimes you'll just be surprised, like, this movie didn't have that many actors. Like, where did all this budget go? Like, yes. how did they spend so much money on this movie? What did this mm-hmm. go into? And from the outside, like, I don't know anything about how much it costs to make a film, but they do. And they can mm-hmm. kind of talk about that in a cogent way and make me feel like I understand it a little bit more. Yeah, so, that's yeah. a great example. Um, and they also, they do give praise where it's due. Mm-hmm. Like, they do point out parts of the film that they thought were good or, you know, certain actors or yeah. different elements that they think do deserve praise. Like, they never skip trying to give credit where it's due. Um, that's a really important part. And another thing that I like is... Um, you might think that because each discussion is about a specific film, that that's like a barrier to entry, that you have to have seen the film in order to appreciate the discussion. But in my experience, that's not the case because I have almost never seen the films that they're talking about. And I still feel like I fully appreciate listening to their conversation about it because they paint such a detailed picture for you about just the important things of what happened yeah i love in their live shows when they'll show clips like i've Mm -hmm. I've never seen a live show but i imagine what it would be like (laughs) to go to one i would die i'll come it would be so fun buy tickets if they go on sale yeah (laughs) god i would love that and uh, yeah and it's hard to, um, like, explain how fundamental the hosts are to the show because it's they just make up so much of the appeal of it. Like, if they made an announcement that they were replacing mm-hmm. each of the hosts with new people next week, I would be like, I, I don't think I'm going to listen to this anymore. Like, I'm not... I'm not there specifically for the premise. Like, I yeah. want to hear Paul, Jason, and June talk about these movies. Like, mm-hmm. they are irreplaceable. Like, yeah. they're essential to the pod. And it, I can't, you know, overstate that enough. Mm-hmm. Totally. But, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you really, like, grow, like, an emotional attachment to these people. Oh, and. Yeah. One of the things I really like, or I guess when this happens, like, I get really excited when the discussion about the film leads to um, an opportunity for one of the hosts to tell a story from their life. Mm -hmm. Like, whether it's, you know, like, a story about filming something, or if it's just topically related, or even something I've really liked since... Um, the pandemic started is that in the mini episodes that they have between the film discussion episodes, normally it's just Paul recapping things by himself, but 
since quarantine started, a lot of times Jason will check in with Paul and they'll have something called Quar Chat, where they just kind of catch up and talk about what they've been doing to pass the time, which is normally like, what have they been reading? What have they been watching? Mm-hmm. And, but a lot of it is also like very vulnerable discussions about isolation and things of that nature. And I, I just love when people are willing to be vulnerable in such a public way. And whether it's through choir chat or through storytelling, uh, man, I just love that. And my very favorite, all-time favorite recurring bit, like I don't even know if you can call it a bit per se, but... (laughs) my favorite thing that happens on the show is whenever Paul tells a story from his childhood it it only happens rarely but each time it happens it's so striking that it stays with you (laughs) because his stories from his childhood are so wild and just they, I don't know, I want to say he must have been like a kid in the 80s or 70s, mm-hmm. and he was a latchkey kid, which meant he had very little supervision mm. and was in a household where his parents were divorced and he was an only child. And so just... <laughs> Big move. It's, yeah. I mean, just the fact that I know all of those things really... Mm-hmm kind of says something about the level of vulnerability mm-hmm. that people bring to the table. But anyway, my point is that I just, I love it when Paul tells stories from his childhood because they are wild and insane and they're absolutely hilarious. And I just love learning more about these people in general because I just really enjoy them and I feel like they're you know my podcast friends that are there for me when I just need some relief from whatever's going on at work or whatever's going on in the world and I can just listen to a nice little light chat about a movie and just escape for a little bit I mean that's 90% of the podcasts I listen to Mm mm-hmm Like, every once in a while, I'll get into some kind of true crime or whatever, but... Sure. I mean, I listen to this podcast. I listen to... Not our podcast. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) How did this get made? I also Mm -hmm. listen to our podcast when I edit it. Uh, But that's a little bit different. I'm not being soothed by my own voice. Um, I don't know why I'm so weird tonight. (laughs) Um, but, like, I also listen to My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and Mm -hmm. Reply All, and things like that, where it's just, it's for the hosts. It's not about the podcast at all. It's not about the content. It's just that they're, like, very comforting presences. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I listen to podcasts multiple hours of the week. Um, Sure. And, I don't know, it's just nice to feel like you've got company all the time. Yeah. I don't know. 
And it's like the better you feel like you know them, the more comforting it is in a way. Yeah. Somehow. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I definitely recommend checking that out, If especially if you're interested in films and film criticism or film production. I think it like really appeals to people that are interested in that subject matter, or even mm-hmm. broadly if you're just um, like a comedy podcast fan. That's me. I, <laughs> I don't know anything. I know more now. I know more about mm-hmm. film criticism and development than I did before which is cool Um, yeah but that's not like why I went into it Mm -hmm. yeah I have a a short list of recommended episodes to start out on one unfortunate thing is that their full catalog of episodes is not available on like the apple podcast app at one time I think you have to have stitcher premium to listen to all of them. I've only heard like a subset of them because of that, but of the ones that I've heard, I definitely recommend um, the Drop Dead Fred episode. That's an excellent one. Um, Master of Disguise. Uh, (laughs) I know that's a favorite for Kat. (laughs) (laughs) Because of your your deep emotional ties to that film. I watched that movie like every day for an entire summer. My poor mom. <laughs> I still own it on DVD. It's your somewhere. Poor mom. Oh my, mom my god, that's incredible. It in my house. I could probably go grab it and show it on wow. the screen right now. Um I haven't seen and... it in a long time. <laughs> I did make my partner watch it. He did not like it. Yeah. It's not a great film. <laughs> I also recommend uh, the peanut butter connection. Oh, sorry, the peanut butter solution. I mean, <laughs> Dreamcatcher and Little Italy. Oh Those my are Dreamcatcher. Yeah, so good. Wait, do I... you mean that? No, no, seriously? no, not the movie. The episode. The uh, episode. Dreamcatcher. Yeah, I've it's never so seen good. Dreamcatcher the movie, mm-hmm. but oh my god, that episode is high quality content it's so funny i could listen to that one again all the time yeah especially because they have a guest on who's really knowledgeable about stephen king and Mm -hmm. stephen king's book Dreamcatcher that the film was adapted from and it it really he adds a lot like i don't always love when there's a guest because I don't like the dynamic getting <laughs> I messed don't up. I meet a new person. I know. Here. <laughs> but the, I don't remember who he was off the top of my head, but the guest for Dreamcatcher was excellent. I really like um, Halloween and Christmas time. They like put up <gasps> yeah. episodes and hearing about bad Halloween movies and bad Christmas movies mm-hmm. is my bread and butter. Oh my yeah. god. Also, over Christmas, I watched a lot of the movies no. that they talked about. I watched uh-huh. um, The Night Before Christmas, K-N-I-G-H-T, uh-huh. The Night Before Christmas. Um, what did you think? It was great. It was bad. <laughs> oh my god. I loved it. I watched it while I worked from home mm-hmm. on mundane tasks. And I was living my best life. It was great. I think I might have watched it twice. 
in the same way. Because <laughs> I was just like, my brain is off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was- yeah, they do holiday specials where they watch like a Hallmark yeah. and or Lifetime movie. Oh, it's great. We've got to do our diagram. Oh my god, we still have to do the Venn diagram. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, diagram. let's get to the friend diagram. What are the commonalities? The main one that sticks out to me is that when you are going into how did this get made or horror store, your expectations are kind of subverted because when I first went into how did this get made, I was expecting kind of a podcast that would make fun of movies and not be very like lighthearted necessarily and I didn't really think that I was going to like it because Mm -hmm. I don't like hearing people bash things um yeah like overwhelming negativity at all it's great um and I wouldn't listen to it if it was just bashing a movie or a film you know Mm -hmm. I think that they always find something good to say about something and I really love that and then um my expectations for horror store were definitely um, turned on their head because it was actually a really scary book which I didn't anticipate um, I thought it was just going to be like a really quick lighthearted, a little bit spooky read and it was not it was quite scary with lots of body horror um, so I definitely think that shift in your expectation is kind of what ties them together for me mm-hmm. yeah while you were talking about how invested you were in the characters in Horror Store, mm. despite the the quick read time, or this relatively small number of pages. Mm-hmm. But despite that, you felt really invested in yeah. each of those three main characters. Um, that reminds me of like how invested I feel in the three main hosts yeah. of How Did This Get Made. Who's and... the fearless leader? Paul. I mean, it's gotta be Paul. Who's He's... the aunt? <laughs> is it Jason? I think, I it's, think Jason. it's... Well, June... I feel like June is so caring. I could That's easily true. see her have, like, really caring aunt energy. Which means That's Jason's true. our main character. He's all He's of us. So character energy. He does. He does. <laughs> We're all Jason. <laughs> so, yeah. I think just love for our three main characters... Yeah. And unexpected investment in their in their well-being. I think those are good overlaps. Mm-hmm. I think those are great overlaps. Um, so that's episode two, everyone. Mm-hmm. That's One more episode, episode two. down. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.